electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you about days like today so you can better prepare for them. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We cannot keep changing our minds about the Fed on a daily basis. It's a sucker's game, a fool's game. One that caused the averages to get clobbered today. Dow plunging 483 points. S&P plummeting 1.79%. NASDAQ nosediving 1.93%. And pretty much the exact same news that barely caused an eye to bat just last week. So before you sell everything because you think everyone else is, here's what you really need to know. The Fed has a plan. It wants wages to stabilize. It doesn't want them to plummet. The Fed wants food costs to stay the same for a little bit. It wants rents to stop going higher. It wants cheaper cars. It wants more homes at lower prices. And ideally, it wants all these things to happen with minimal cost to you, a regular person. Although that's a tough needle to thread. It's got a hard job. The economy is too hot. Money's flowing all over the system way too easily, and there's still too much spending by both individuals and governments. Now, obviously, the Fed can't do anything about the federal budget. I mean, that's why we've seen such strength in sickle smokestack stocks of late. The ones that benefit from all that infrastructure spending, think about it, it's steel, construction, timber, doesn't matter. At the same time, the aerospace business is booming because travel remains strong post-pandemic. So the airlines need more planes, and that's how Boeing can rally two bucks on a hideous day for the averages. So while the Fed's made some progress in the war against inflation, it's probably not enough, at least not if you're taking your cue from last week's very strong employment number. So what is going wrong? OK, what's really going wrong with the Fed? And is it going to stay going wrong? Well, first, there's not enough people who are returning to work. Not enough people want to come back to the workforce. Maybe they took huge buyouts when companies laid people off like mad at the start of the pandemic. Someone in their mid-60s who took a buyout who simply isn't coming back to work. Not this close to Social Security age. There's a calculus you can do on Social Security. I bet a lot of workers decide to start taking benefits early, even if that means the benefits are smaller. I throw in the buyout on top of that, and you're fine. They're not coming back. 
I think this has been a real problem in industries that have struggled to attract younger people, like trucking, trains. We saw from the labor report on Friday that there's been some movement here among this cohort to return to work, but not enough to stamp out wage inflation, for heaven's sake. Second, there is a terrible mismatch between the job openings we have and the people who might be interested in them. For example, we need tons of engineers, either for the $550 billion in incremental infrastructure spending authorized last year or you know, for all those airplane engines, air electric vehicles, green energy stuff that got subsidized by the so-called Inflation Reduction Act without the people to take care of it. But we're tapped out of engineers. It takes a long time to train these people, causing an endless spiral of higher wages for anyone capable of doing this work. Those people can just name their own price, and they are. Meanwhile, not many people feel compelled to come back to work because Americans are so much richer than they were before the pandemic. Something you know if you listen to any of our interviews with Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, who ought to know he's got the facts. For roughly two years, we had almost nothing to spend our money on. And we also got a series of huge handouts from Washington. That's an immense amount of wealth creation, and it makes the Fed's job a lot more difficult. Hey, it's not, the odds are not stacked against them, but the odds are tough. Third. You know what we have? We got too many coders or people who like are near coders or something coder. You know, uh, these are many people in the business of customer relations, management, data analysis, advertising. They're hanging on by their fingertips, keeping their jobs, hoping they don't get discovered that they're doing nothing. Sure, Meta discovered it. They decided to make some big uh, layoffs because their expenses were crazily out of control versus their revenues. But most tech companies have simply failed to realize that the halcyon days are over. They're dreaming. Enterprise software isn't going to end up like coal mining or clock making or film development. But this is one of the most bloated industries I've ever come across. People are hitting the exits from some high profile firms, including Salesforce.com. The industry is in big time flux, like acid reflux. Plus, so many people in the software business took payment in stock as well as cash. Now their stocks are so darn low that the companies either have to make it up with more cash or make it up by massive additional amounts of stock. They've typically chosen the latter, betting Wall Street would continue to be blinded by the revenue growth and not care about the earnings or lack thereof. But that game ended a year ago, for heaven's sake. Sooner or later, a lot of these people will lose their jobs. It's just that many of these tech companies are too new with unseasoned executives who don't know when they need to fire workers on mass. And anyway, the workers aren't in the building, so they don't see it. Right. Well, you don't see them. You don't realize how bloated your company is. It's like, oh, yeah, I got guys here. I got guys there. No, I mean, you're bloated. So they hold on, and the outcomes will be pushed out. Stocks that are down 60, 70 percent will go down another 10 to 20 percent, believe me, before it dawns on these executives that their job is to preserve the institution. And that can mean making some painful decisions. As a veteran of the dot-com wars, I can tell you that about 330 companies came public during the period when we brought the street.com public. And I got to tell you, most of them went under because the people in charge just didn't know what they were doing and wouldn't take the medicine wouldn't bite the bullet, which, by the way, is not fun. And I feel badly about how many people I had to lay off. But it's the way to save the institution, which brings me to problem number four from the Fed's perspective. The sheer number of companies that were created in the past few years uh, have pushed wages higher. Remember, between the SPACs, the IPOs, we had about 600 new publicly traded entities, a lot of employees, a lot of money. A lot of employers, a lot of jobs. Many of these companies are now hanging on by a thread, by their fingernails. But the problem is they raised a ton of money in 2020 or 2021, and the destruction of all that capital takes time. Many of these companies were rich to begin with, though. They have so much cash that they haven't been forced to pivot to profitability. After so many rate hikes, you'd think these newly public companies would be struggling to stay solvent. 
We didn't count on them having so much money that they think they can ride this moment out. The Fed can't just force them out of business. They can only keep bringing the pain until the money runs out and these enterprises go under. We are not there yet, though. I can't believe how many money-losing enterprises still haven't laid off anybody. But the simple fact is that money was so bountiful that they can last a lot longer than they have any right to. While the Fed can definitely outlast them, it'll be a painful experience for the whole economy. The longer these marginal businesses hang on, the worse it is for everybody else. But we can't make them surrender. Now, we can't go back and forth on this topic every day. Honestly, today's sell-off, it should have happened last Friday when we first got that red-hot employment number. It didn't for some reason. But I come back to the fact that gaming out the Fed's next move is more of an art than a science, and artistry takes time. You've got to figure out when people will start coming back to the workforce and when money-losing companies will let their workers go or simply go bankrupt. I think it's actually going to happen sooner than expected at this point. I think we're going to be hearing about gigantic layoffs in this country after Christmas, and the turnover is already starting to occur in the last three, four weeks. Don't worry, the Fed will win this war, either patiently or with alacrity. The former is prudent, the latter is rash. Bottom line, this kind of thing is hard to pin down, especially when we're between Fed meetings. But in the end, this market's hostage to the Federal Reserve, and the Fed's not going to stop tightening until they see more evidence of real economic pain. Unfortunately, we're not there yet, but it could be a lot sooner than this market's now expecting. I want to go to Gale in Massachusetts. Gale! Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Gail. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a question for you. I have a bet with my husband on which button you're going to press. When I ask you, is this the time to jump on the Peloton bandwagon? You know, it's so interesting you mention this because everybody, it's now a joke. Like my wife, well, yeah, I used to say she would put her jog bra on the Peloton. I heard someone made that joke. The other day, I said, boy, it's late in the game. I bet you this one's looking good. Because in the end, Barry McCarthy is running that joint. I'm not betting against Barry McCarthy right here. So the answer is I'm going to say is don't buy, which is different from buy, but different from sell. Let's go to Peggy in Maryland. Peggy. Hey, Jim. I have seven and I love them for a number of reasons. They have a low P.E. The dividends are strong. And then oil is, I don't know if it's on fire, but it's strong. How far down will oil have to go to make dividends unattractive? 70. 70 is the, is the point where you have to start rethinking things. Uh, you know, Carl asked me this morning, Carl, can you, do we see the bottom in oil? I thought maybe. Uh, I don't remember. I think that we saw it when it went to the to like 72, 73 and held. I'm not giving up on it. Uh, I'm not giving up on Devin. I like Devin very much. We're going to go to Davis in my home state of New Jersey. Davis! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Davis. First time caller. Honored to be able to say to you, my friend, you will have a gift. I'll have the movie analyze this. Thank you, Thank you very always, much. Jim. I appreciate all the foresight you've given me through the years. But tonight, I'd like you to analyze the $24.6 billion merger between Kroger and Albertson. All right, this is a very complicated situation, Davis, and I'll tell you why. Because I think the people who run the FTC is going to review this, and the the person who runs the FTC does not listen to the CEO of Kroger, Rodney McMillan, who's made a great case for this, that it would help the price of, uh, lower the price for customers. 
I think that she's got, Linacon is going to reject this deal and they can sue, but she's a very powerful opponent. This market's hostage to the Federal Reserve, and the Fed's not going to stop tightening until they see more evidence of real economic. The house of pain. Unfortunately, we're still not there yet, but it could happen very soon. Now, on Mad Money tonight, Ulta Beauty popped after earnings. So, what's bringing the strength of this cosmetics retailer? You know what? We're going to discuss with the uh, new CEO. Then, J-Pal has his sights set on taming inflation. And while chicken wings may not be his top priority, I'm betting, I'm checking in with the CEO of Wingstop to learn how decreased costs are impacting the company's bottom line. Not everything's going up, thank heavens. And the software space has been a tougher corner of the market for some time. But after earnings, is there still some room for the company like Splunk in your portfolio? I'm getting the latest from the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Despite all the hammering about weakness in retail, some chains are doing incredibly well right now. Take Kramer fave Ulta Beauty, the nation's largest beauty retailer. Think cosmetics, perfume, skincare, and hair care products, along with some salon services. Now, last week, Ulta reported a magnificent set of numbers. Gigantic earnings beat. Nearly 15% same-store sales growth. I blew my mind that it could be so good. Much better than expected and all the more impressive because they were up against some insanely tough comparisons. 
Even better, management raised their full-year forecast, I, I thought pretty dramatically. But the most remarkable thing about the quarter is that somehow nobody seemed to care. Ulta stock actually opened down more than five bucks last Friday in response. They made some comment about how a, a couple weeks in November were kind of weak. I mean, give me a break. Uh, it only erased most of those losses. Of course, a lot of it comes down to the fact that this stock had already run hard into the quarter. At the same time, management also gave some less than encouraging commentary. Uh, you know, they're talking about competitive holiday season. Uh, you know what? I think that that is just way too cautious. But let's not take it from me. Let's take it from Dave Kimball. He's the CEO of Ulta Beauty to see where the company is headed. Mr. Kimball, welcome back to Mad Money. Dave, congratulations on still one more great quarter. After this, issue, where's all the money coming from? How can the customers have this much money to spend at Ulta? Jim, well, first of all, it's great to be with you, and thanks for your continued interest in Ulta Beauty. We are so proud and excited about what we're delivering right now. The consumer is loving what Ulta Beauty is serving up, and we're excited about the opportunity ahead. You know, beyond the headline numbers of what we delivered, the 14.6% comp, 17% total growth, the 15.5% operating margin, comes a lot of detail underneath that really gives me encouragement looking forward. We saw strong, broad-based strength across every part of our business. Double-digit category growth across each of our major parts of our business. We saw e-com, stores, and salon all growing. We saw strength across geographies, across member base. Uh, we're really excited about what we're seeing. And for me, it comes down to three, three core things. We're in a great category. It's important to our guests and important to consumers' lives. Our business model is proven. Nobody does what Ulta Beauty does, and it's working in the market right now. And third and most important, our team and our culture. It differentiates us and allows us to deliver the great experience that happens in stores like this across the country every single day. And I'm really proud of what our team has been putting together to deliver these great results. Well, we are dealing uh, in the country with what I regard as a labor shortage, and the Federal Reserve is very worried about that. How are you keeping your team together? I know in the comp school you talked about wage pressure, but somehow uh, you also indicate that you're really not having any staffing problems. You're just trying to be sure that the customer's still happy. We are staffed and ready to go. You know, of course, we're at the peak of holiday season. And uh, it's critical that in our stores and our distribution centers, we have great team ready to go and deliver. And, uh, and I can tell you, we do. We've been working hard all year long to make sure that uh, we've got uh, the environment that uh, delivers for our guests. And I'm really, really proud of what we're doing. And I tell you, it all comes back to culture. Uh, the environment that we've worked on for really the 30 years of the 32 years of our history come together to create an environment that our team is passionate about our mission, passionate about our vision, uh, that we care for our guests, but we also care for each other. And then we've all been through a lot over these last couple of years. I think our culture is what's holding us together, allowing us to attract and retain great talent across all of our business and allowing us to deliver a great experience in our stores, online, uh, in every part of our business every day. All right, now, we have about 330 million people in this country. How are you able to have 39 million people in your loyalty program? I think it's a reflection of our unique and powerful business model. The great thing, again, about this category is that it's so important to consumers' lives. The way you express yourself is so important to who you are. And so it's relevant to so many people. And the fact that we have 39, uh, 39 million people, 9% growth in our loyalty program over last year makes me really proud. But I know there is so much opportunity ahead. There are tens of millions of beauty enthusiasts. 
that aren't part of Ulta Beauty every day. And our mission throughout our entire uh, proposition is to make sure we're taking care of our existing guests. We're driving great retention and our loyalty program. We're reactivating those that shopped with us, but for whatever reason aren't. And we're attracting new new members. And there's some key programs that we have in place that allow us to continue to bring new members. We're focused across all types of consumers, but some key demographics. Gen Z has been a big growth area. We're number one with Gen Z, and we're working on trying to do that. Latinx consumers are over-indexed in beauty, and we've got a great opportunity to continue to grow with that group. Uh, black beauty enthusiasts also represent a strong opportunity. So we're focused across demographics. We've got great execution in stores, online, and our new partnership with Target to reach new guests. And that's a big part of our mission, and it's uh, core to our strategy every day. Well, it sounds like your expectations for the holiday season are, uh, let's say, much more uh, exuberant than most of the retailers that I deal with. Well, we're in the middle of it. I'm here in, in one of our stores in Chicago, and you can feel the holiday buzz every time you're in one of our stores. And I'm so proud of our teams, our store teams, our e-commerce teams, our supply chain teams work all year long for this moment, for these weeks that that uh, that we come together to celebrate holiday and deliver what we call both gifting and glamming for our guests. And that's what makes this season so exciting. It's a great opportunity to glam. And as we move through COVID, there's a lot more glamming opportunity, people out and about celebrating holiday with friends and family. And of course, beauty is great gifting. And if you haven't completed your shopping list, Jim, I'm happy to help you with that. But well, gifting is uh, great for beauty. And so it's a big time for us. And well, so we could share on our call. Estee Lauder. I mean, my, my wife loved Mac. You, don't have, you didn't have Mac first time years ago. Now you're really probably the best place to get Mac. This is where I should go, right? Well, Mac is an example of a great partner and a great brand, the entire Estee Lauder. We have 600 brands here at Ulta Beauty, 25,000 products. A key part of our strategy has differentiated us again from the very beginning. It's what we call all things beauty, all in one place. The idea of mass to prestige, makeup, skincare, hair care, bath, fragrance, wellness. We've got all of the beauty experience that our guests want to engage in. And that's what makes us special. And so we are a great destination. I shared on the call uh, last week that uh, while we anticipate growth will moderate some from the strength we had uh, in the third quarter, uh, we're still anticipating 6 to 8% comp growth. Having said that, our biggest weeks of the holiday period are still ahead still of ahead. us as we lead up through December. And so we're focused on executing in our teams and Stores like this across the country are doing a great job serving All guests. right, I'll go get the gift certificate. That way I got everything covered like everybody else. Dave Kimbrell is the CEO of Ulta Beauty. Dave, just a great job once again. Congratulations. Thank you, Jim. Okay, good to see you. Dave Bunny's back here for the break. Coming up, start your week with a little extra kick. Bird is the word when Kramer sits down with Wingstop. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Right, what the heck has gotten into this talk of Wingstop over the past six months? This was real interesting. Wingstop was the canary in the coal mine late last year when we realized we we're having a big problem with inflation. The company had a couple of tough quarters because of higher wing costs. Sent its stock from 187 September of last year to 67 at the bottom this May. Things got so crazy at one point that the company had to temporarily push an alternative digital-only brand called Thighstop, which, by the way, I liked, for the record. But this spring, chicken wings ended up being one of the first commodities to peak. Since then, prices have come down, way down. And Wingstock's put up some just incredible numbers, including a blowout quarter back in October. Stock's now up more than 130% from the bottom in May. So could this thing have more room to run? Let's dig deeper with Michael Skipworth, the president and CEO of Wingstop who first told us his cost was coming down substantially back in May. Mr. Skipworth, welcome back to Man Buddy. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, you understand your business. It's a great pleasure to have an operator here who really gets it. Uh, you're offering tremendous value. You have a great digital uh, position where you don't really have the labor cost of some of the companies. It just seems like that it is really Wingstop's time. That's right, Jim. Our business, as we talked about back in May, experiencing meaningful deflation and in addition to that, it's put us in a position where consumer sentiment has been challenged and we haven't had to take price. In right. fact, we leaned into our proven value playbook, which has helped us generate same store sales growth for 18 consecutive years on to 19 years this year. But in addition to that, we have some growth levers that we've pulled, bringing in a lot of new guests. And right. so we're sitting here and you mentioned Q3, we posted a 6.9% same-store sales growth. Fantastic. But unlike a lot of other brands, the majority of that sales growth was coming from transaction growth, not price. Right. That's really important you mentioned that. And I want to explain it to people, which means that people are coming a lot. Like you also had some stuff in, the, in your conference call. People come three, four, five, not just one, two per month. I mean, people just want your stuff, and they keep coming back for more and more. I'm not seeing that at the other guy's stuff. That's right. Wingstop's an indulgent occasion for yes. consumers, and they want to they wanna lean in, they want to splurge, they want that bold flavor experience that we offer. And what we've done this year is we launched a chicken sandwich, which now gains another occasion for us in addition to wings. Can you stock it? That's a big issue. We can. We you can. can. We've got plenty of inventory. Our supplier partners have stepped up, and we're seeing that chicken sandwich in early days mix in high single digits, and it's all incremental. And it's actually mixing very nicely on the lunch day part for our business. All right. So how about Carolina Barbecue? Carolina Barbecue launched today. and it's Today. About, today. Today. And you brought a couple for my crew, right? That's right. We did. Both on wings and a sandwich. Bargain? That's, what kind of price? Our sandwich, Jim, is priced at $5.49. See, that's what I mean. Cook to this, order. Right. Great now, value. And so that's one of the reasons why people always say, well, Jim, I'm going to go buy a Wingstop. I see them all over my neighborhood. I said, first of all, they have a lot of room. I mean, you have 1,700 versus 13,000 McDonald's. But second, you can't just go call you and get a Wingstop. You've got to be a proven operator somewhere else before you get a Wingstop. Not only that, Jim, do you have to be a proven operator. The majority of our brand partners, our franchisees, make up over 90% of our development. 
And so they're just re-upping with Wingstop, which really speaks to the unit economics. We generate a $1.6 million AUV on an average initial investment of $400,000. Which is amazing. $400,000, but it's just a fantastic, fantastic proposition. Why did wing prices come down? I think you saw suppliers ramp up supply. They were able to staff up their plants. They improved hatchability rates. And then I think you saw a little bit of a other restaurants reopening their dining rooms, shifting away from some of these virtual brands, promoting wings, and that yeah. left to a lot of inventory. And we talked about it coming, that there was going to be meaningful deflation, and we've seen that come into play. And as we look at the in- leading indicators right now, yeah. we see really, really favorable commodity backdrop for 2023 for our business. Wow. Now, some people say, listen, it's still such a bargain to, to cook at home. I, I don't think so. I think this is cheaper to go out to a wing stop than it is to make yourself. And I think that that point was proven this summer when we launched a boneless meal deal. 20 wings, three flavors, two dips, a large fry for $16.99. Whether you're two or three people, you feed quite a few people and it's a good value per head. And we saw that reverse our trend this summer and it's setting us up for a really nice comp growth year. 19th in a row, as I mentioned earlier. That's fantastic. Now, how about your advertising, Doug? You made a couple of changes. Uh, You slotted local over to national. I think that worked. A lot of people talk about you now. That's right. I don't know if you watch any NFL games recently. No, no. Seeing, what is that? Was that the, not for long? What's that stand for? You're seeing uh, Wingstop show Endless. up quite a bit. Show but, up great. And I love it. They're good. They're good spots. That's right. We consolidated that local one percent, and it's led to over a thirty-five percent increase in the ad dollars we can invest this year at a national level. It's working. It's it? working. That's right, Jim. Well, I've got to tell you, I think that. That plus the partnerships, I like the, I like the delivery partnerships. That's They're working right. for you, too. They are. They are. We expanded. We were one of the last brands to expand to from one delivery provider to multiple. We added Uber Eats this summer. And that was another growth lever where we actually saw a completely different guest coming into our business that didn't have access to our brand before. And we see a lot of runway in our delivery business to continue to drive our AUVs, which I mentioned are $1.6 million today, and we have line of sight to over $2 million. You are putting up wing stops now in, I mean, there's one near me uh, in Pennsylvania. And they're no longer, the, 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 the real estate side is not that inexpensive anymore. You can still make that kind of money? You can. We have that really efficient box on average, 13, 1,400 square feet. It's in line with over 95% of our business being off-premise. We're able to lean into a really the small The ghost box. kitchen. I mean, you got everything cooking for you. That's right. Well, I got to tell you, you've been, uh, what a, I mean, it's been a roller coaster, but it's on the way up. The fact that you just said 2023, because you've been dead right about everything in the future, that you gave good numbers, for, you just, you nailed it. Thank you. And I can't congratulate you enough for doing a great job. Thanks, Michael Skipper is the CEO of Wingstop. Here it is. Carolina? Carolina Gold. They like that one? It's a good one. All right. We'll get it ourselves. We'll have it tonight for dinner. Me and Mike's back here another break. Coming up. Enterprise software hasn't been much of a prize of late. Kramer goes one-on-one with a company that's bucking the trend. Next. This past earnings season was pretty darn rough for the enterprise software place, wasn't it? But last Wednesday, we got that terrific quarter from Splunk. That's a cloud software company that helps its clients make sense of the machine-generated data for both regular analytics and cybersecurity purposes. 
Spunk delivered a monster set of numbers. They earned 83 cents per share. Wall Street was only looking for 25 cents, much higher than expected sales, up 40% year over year. Also uh, raised their full year forecast substantially, allowing the stock to soar nearly 18% last Thursday. More important, Spunk stock had been beaten down to the low 60s in October, level where it was trading like the company was headed for some sort of serious slowdown. But their business seems to be holding up just fine. The stock pulling back a little bit today. Of course, everything else did too. One general worries that the Fed may have to tighten more aggressively. Bad news for all things tech. I'm not even so sure whether that makes sense. Why always say everything tech? It doesn't have to be that way. So let's check in with Gary Steele, the president. CEO of Splunk as we approach the end of this, his first year of the job. Mr. Steele, welcome back to Bad Buddy. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. All right. So you have come in, Gary, and you have taken a company that, uh, frankly, from the looks of things, needed more efficiency. And you've made it more efficient. At the same time, you've got terrific revenue generation. It's been done in a very short period of time. How is it occurring so quickly, given the, what I regard as a total change in the way the numbers were going? Well, when I, when I joined, I really wanted the company to focus on a balanced approach by continuing to drive um, durable growth, but at the same time, increasing profitability. And the Splunk team's just been amazing in responding, and we've just driven a lot of efficiency in the business over a very short period of time. And frankly, our customers rely on us every day, and that's what's driving growth. All right, now, what a, a predecessor, your predecessor, said to me that they were going to be uh, a cloud-based company by now that Splunk, this was a few years ago, that that's where Splunk was going and it needed to be cloud-based. Uh, frankly, I'm now questioning whether everything has to be cloud-based immediately because when I look at your numbers, they are profitable. And I care more at this point about profitability than about a journey to cloud. Am I right in that kind of thinking? You absolutely are because at the end of the day, our customers rely on us for a hybrid environment. We've got a lot of customers who will stay on-prem for some period of time for a variety of reasons. Our cloud growth has been great. Um, cloud growth was um, up nicely at 46%. Cloud AR grew 46%. So we're making great progress. But I'd have to say the one thing that has been affected by macro conditions has been some of the cloud migrations. But we're happy to expand our customers on-prem and let them take on the cloud when they're ready for it. At the same time, there are some uh, entities, customers that don't seem to be all that worried about these kinds of things. I'm talking about the U.S. federal government. Three-year, multi-million dollar agreement that's got to be one of the best contracts out there to win. You know, we had some really nice wins in the public sector space. Was really proud of the team and the execution that they put up for the quarter. And I think there's, there's more opportunity for us broadly in public sector. And we're doing some really interesting things there from private-public partnership, et cetera, that we think will create a lot of value. All right. Now, uh, we know that it was really kind of as the attention was on Salesforce. But the people from Starboard uh, took a position. They're active, and they're talking about, quote, explore strategic options for the company. Now, I know, the, I know that group. I know that they can, be, uh, they can be mannerly and gentlemanly. I want to know whether they're really pushing you that hard to sell the company when there's a lot of value here that you haven't had a chance to develop yet. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we obviously value the feedback from all shareholders, and I've had a couple of conversations with Starboard, and the conversations have been very constructive. My path has simply been, let's go drive this durable growth and expanded profitability. And I think that's in all shareholders' best interest. All right. So how about this idea that you uh, bundled Splunk Cloud with Splunk Observability? Because I think that there were many different Splunks within Splunk. And I always felt that one day they would be more streamlined. You know, we're trying to simplify our selling model. And as we 
included in our um, earnings results, we've moved to a single seller model. And we think it just makes it simpler for our customers. And that's what really what we're looking to do. And granted, that creates some efficiency as well. But just simplifying it for our customers is what really matters for us. All right. Now, I've been waiting for some M&A. I, there's a lot of companies that started in the last two years, three years, four years. Now, they've kind of run out of capital. Tell me about TwinWave, because I think cybersecurity yeah. remains to be a terrific business. And you pick these guys up. I don't know the full details. I'd like to know them. Yeah, no, a relatively small acquisition, but really interesting technology that does threat, threat analysis. So it fits exactly with um, the core capabilities we're delivering to our customer. We can extend that value. And we got some ama- amazing cybersecurity talent along with it. Now, when you have uh, 90 of the Fortune 100, I always hear people say to me, well, Jim, if there are 90 of the Fortune 100, then what else is there to gain? They're in everywhere. The fact is, is that you're in some of, of the 90 and you can be much bigger, right? I mean, that's to me that I don't want to use the, the, the cliche land and expand. But the fact is, you're touching a lot of companies and you can get bigger in those companies. Yes, and I, it's beyond 90, right? I, we think about the Global 2000. How do we help customers around the globe um, deliver cyber and um, overall resilience in their business? And so that's really what we're focused on. And so in that 90, can we go bigger? Absolutely. But more broadly, how do we extend our reach into the Global 2000 today? And if you think about it, roughly two-thirds of our business comes from the Americas. We still have a lot of opportunity outside the U.S. I want to ask a question. I, I tell what the, my friends who are in your space, don't look at the stock anymore. The stocks are reflecting some sort of just a tsunami of pain, but some companies are doing better than others. Is this the time to just hunker down and not look at how Splunk's trading? Well, I think at the end of the day, if we can continue on this path of delivering durable growth with increasing profitability, we can have great outcomes for shareholders. And it won't matter whether there's activists, non-activists, long, short. They'll realize, wait a second, that this is a Gary company and you'll do what you did last time, which is make a lot of money for, for shareholders. That's what we're focused on. All right. That's always worked for you. That's Gary Steele, who is a hero of mine because he's made so much money. And now he's at a company that is very inexpensive versus what he's doing. Gary Steele's president and CEO of Splunk. And Mad Money's back in for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy. It's over the lightning round. Christmas. It's over. It's going to Josh in Massachusetts. Josh. Jim, your energy is off the charts. You're like a race. I'm trying. Down the stretch, man. Secretary. Secretary. What's, Let's go. What's up with the entertainment sports betting stocks? Especially one you haven't Man, there's too many cubbies. There's too many cubbies in it. That's what's killing me. Any particular one you want to ask about? Penn Entertainment. What's going on there? Look, I think Penn is a very inexpensive stock, but everybody is in this darn business. And until more people clear out or give up or merge, the betting business has become very tough. But I do like Penn. They're good guys, but I can't recommend the stock right now. I want to go to Chris in Georgia. Chris. A big Georgia Bulldog booyah to you, Jim. Man, are you guys good? Hey, I'll tell you, this fellow Davis played for the, the Birds. He's dynamite, too. You got a great squad. What's going on? 
Absolutely. My question today is about a company touted as being the future of the supply chain, Symbotic, sticker S-Y-M. Are we buying, selling, and holding? It's just back there. Money losing back. We're not recommending any money losers. Maybe they got a great story, but I got to tell you, they're losing money, and we are not there when they're losing money. I need to go to John in North Carolina. John. Hey, Jim Kramer. How's it going? Yo. I'm good. How about you? I'm great. Hey, I'm a longtime watcher and a member of the investing club. I appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, so we had some good stuff. I had a great piece. I thought I did a good piece last night after I was watching the Cowboys beat up on the Colts. That was unfair. They should have judged. They should have stopped that game. Go ahead. <laughs> so this stock has been outperforming the market over the past three days of trading. They own Breckenridge and Sweetwater Brewery, in addition to being a part of the cannabis space. How do you feel about TLRY? Is it a buy here? That was a very smart move by Erwin Simon to get into that beer that my kids like to drink. However, they are losing money, but they are, um, they and Canopy, if you want to own them, you can own either one. I'm not going to fight you on it. Let's go to Fernando in New York. Fernando! For you, Jim. This is Fernando from New York. I just want to say I love your book. Ah, oh, thank you, man. What's going on? Not much. Um, I've got a company here that's pretty well known, uh, DWAC, uh, by somebody that we know is very well known, our ex-president. Um, right. That's a complicated situation. I mean, it's one of the SPACs. It's not making money. So I'm not necessarily being political when I say that the SPACs that aren't making money are stocks I don't like. Whether I like the guy or not, they're stocks I don't like. So let's go to Daniel in Michigan. Daniel, my brother, what's happening? Hey, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for taking my Booyah. call. Absolutely. What's Calling going about on? about Clearfield. Um, I bought in around mid-50s and wonder if it might be time to take off some uh, money off the table. No, this is one of those companies that, you know, it's broadband for the rural, and there's a lot of interest in broadband rural. That's why we were talking about uh, the DICOM last week. I do like .com. I have to do more. I'm going to sit down with Ben Stoto, who is my expert on, on rural board broadband, and we're going to find out more about it. Let's go to Jeff in Texas. Jeff. What's going on? Booyah, Mr. Jim. What's going oh, on, booyah. my guy? Oh, you know, I'm hanging out. What about you? What's going on? Oh, man, loving it, loving life. Uh, I got a quick question. What's your um, thoughts on uh, long-term stock Zim integrated shipping service? Uh, yeah, I've been against the shipping services since they first started ships. So uh, I'm not going to change my stripes now. Let's go to Mike in Minnesota. Mike. Mike. Hey, Jay Money. Booyah. Yo, man, what's happening? Booyah. Hey, just a quick question for you. Okay. Uh, Slow, quick, come back. Looking at pager duty. Ticker symbol TV. Genta had to put up a great number. It was a great, it was a great number. There was no doubt about it. But this segment is so hated, it just didn't matter. What can I say? That's the truth. Let's go to Anthony in Michigan. Anthony. Hello, Mr. Kramer. This is, of course, Anthony from Michigan. And what's going on? I wanted to know, oh, not much. I wanted to know. I'm an Action Club member, also. But I Fantastic. wanted to know, uh, in terms of Berkshire. Uh, they've been having, uh, I understand, a few difficulties with the insurance companies. And I wanted to know what your thoughts on them, particularly the Class B shares. Uh, the Class B are fine. I would not worry about the insurance. Those guys are pros. If you really want to make money insurance, that's Chubb. They are doing an unbelievable job. 
But you're talking about Warren Buffett. And when we talk about Warren Buffett, we're talking about a class by himself. I am a believer in Berkshire Hathaway. Now we're going to Dave in Illinois. Dave! Dr. Kramer, my mad S&P oscillator friend, formerly called Chicago Mercantile Exchange, now CME Group. Jim, your thoughts? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. CME, of course, Dave pulls in with a winner. This stock is too cheap given its growth rate. I think it's terrific. You got a winner. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, roller coaster moves always put investors on edge. From the dot-com bubble to the recent bath taken by Bitcoin, how to keep your money safe. When Karl Marx said that history repeats itself, first as tragedy, then as farce, he could have been talking about this market because the cryptocurrency collapse is like a farcical reenactment of the dot-com meltdown from 22 years ago. We're even recycling some of the key players like MicroStrategy, we used to call it Mr. MSDR. Here's a software stock that surged from just over 100 in 1998 all the way to 3,130 at its peak in March of 2000 for plunging an astonishing 99% down to $4.50. A little over a year later. Come on, I mean, come on, you can't make this stuff up. Yet people defended it every dollar down because it was a pretty good software company. I'm calling it a mistake. In the last two years, we saw the same darn story with the same darn stock, MicroStrategy. It rallied from a low of $90 in March of 2020 to a high of $1,315 in February 2021. Now it's back down to $195 and changed. Solid. Sure, that's less dramatic than what happened during the dot-com era, but MicroStrategy's changed a lot in 20 years. Michael Saylor, the software pioneer chairman, you see him on TV constantly, resurrected his company as a cloud services powerhouse. With 51% growth in the subscription service revenue in the most recent quarter, even as the overall business was uh, basically flat. Yet this dot-com survivor also dove headfirst into crypto and into the crypto crash. For some reason, the company decided to buy Bitcoin endlessly. They plowed nearly $4 billion into Bitcoin investments that are now worth $2.2 billion. Easy come, easy go. And that's after, only after Bitcoin's rallied about 2500 from its lows two weeks ago. And honestly, when you look at the stock's rise and fall over the last two years, it's pretty much all comes down to Bitcoin, including the more than $1 billion in losses from continuing operations so far this year. Why, why is no one scrutinizing this? According to Mr. They're in the business of delivering, and I quote, trusted insights with unmatched data governance, end quote, or providing, quote, the ultimate power play of data horsepower and data creativity, end quote. Wow, kind of sounds like Splunk meets Adobe, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, this is a company with less than $2 billion market capitalization, more than $2 billion, and Bitcoin. It really went all in crypto. And right now, you know what? That's looking like an ill-advised position. There's simply no way MicroStrategy can be on solid ground here, not after Sam Bankman-Fried shredded the entire crypto industry with what some say could be as losses, as much as $34 billion in losses. And I'm betting FTX won't be the last of these crypto exchanges to go under. That's not just my view. Larry Fink, the personal case the CEO of BlackRock, said at last week's New York Times Deal Book Conference, quote, I actually believe most of the companies are not going to be around, end quote. Most is my emphasis. 
I think that's a pretty strong indictment of the industry. I'd also add that the more marginal crypto coins, think XRP, Dogecoin, Cardano, Polygon, which currently represent $50 billion in assets, they might be headed to, I don't know, maybe zero. They aren't worth your hard-earned dollars. They might not be worth anything. Now, you could argue we shouldn't care about crypto. It's play money for most people. But for some businesses, it's, it's very real, like MicroStrategy, and it might be real for you. And remember, MicroStrategy's entire valuation is Bitcoin. Meanwhile, Tether, a so-called stable coin that's supposed to be kind of sort of pegged to the dollar, still has a $65 billion market cap despite the SBF fiasco. How is that possible? I mean, can you pull my leg? There's still a whole industry of crypto boosters trying desperately to keep all these things up in the air. Not too different from what happened with bad stocks during the dot-com collapse. Look, I bring this up because I actually did tell people to sell the dot-coms in March of 2000. In a street.com article I wrote, I said, get out! It was right before the peak. Nobody listened. They didn't want to hear it. I've been telling you to avoid this crypto now for ages, too. I told you I sold my Bitcoin and my Ethereum a long time ago at the virulent advice of my wife and used the proceeds to buy a very nice farm. Judging by what happened in the dot-com period, you can't just beat yourself up and say, hey, it's too late to sell. The truth is, it's never too late to sell an awful position. And that's what you have if you own these so-called digital assets, which may not be worth the paper that they will never be printed on. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I probably started finding it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 